Welcome to Podcast 83, a regular look at the news, stories, and trends related to Michigan's 83 counties from the Michigan Association of Counties. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Podcast 83, the podcast put on by the Michigan Association of Counties. Uh, We're here with our, our great legislative staff who had a busy, long week last week. So let's jump right into it. I think we're going to focus this week on, on some of the things that occurred last week, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and kind of do a, maybe a year in review recap, which maybe take one or two podcasts, we'll see. But uh, first off, of course, on the top of everyone's minds was the energy package. Madeline, you want to update us on what got done? I think there were some amendments. Of course, we still never got to support or even neutral on the bill, but I think there were some amendments that were done that were uh, positive, um, at least something to clarify some of the issues with the, the package. Yeah, so the clean energy package passed along party lines. That's now requiring um, 50% renewable energy by 2030, 100% clean energy by 2040. Um, and along with that was the solar siting legislation, which in the draft that formally passed both chambers, it technically says that local units are still are the first destination for an application and should an application be denied then it goes to the psc so there's this illusion of local control in what they passed um, but there's still very little flexibility for locals under this plan so some of the things that we did manage to get included in there following testimony and meetings with bill sponsors We got an amendment for um, drain commissioners. Their developers are going to have to consult with um, drain commissioners. We got um, initially, if if you denied an application, then whatever zoning ordinance you had in place would be null and void for the foreseeable future. we managed though to get some language in there that said only if you're unreasonable in your denial Um, but at the end of the day these zoning ordinances adopted by locals are still going to have to pretty much meet the standards set by the state outlined in the bill they cannot be more restrictive than what's in the bill now a couple of things i mean because all of that restriction madeline right is is decibel levels and setbacks and all of that are pretty hard numbers that they're not flexible on at all right yes so your ordinance cannot be any more restrictive than the prescribed setback distance decibel level fencing requirements there's a dark sky stipulation and uh panel height there's absolutely no discretion in those no discretion on those at all right no but then prior to the final version because i remember and you testified to this there were certain things in there that we couldn't negotiate with the developer on or or at least we were supposed to not really have much of a say in it even though they could submit their plan right that was like decommissioning and vegetation it was no vegetation is still only the psc can consider that um okay but yes, locals now 
when a developer applies to a local, they have to provide a site plan. And in the site plan is the criteria I just mentioned, but then there's also local land use, there's decommissioning plans, fire plans, um, that drain component. So it's still kind of unclear what negotiating power the locals have, but the developer does have to provide that information to a local. So we're still kind of trying to decipher how how much say the locals actually have on the measures outside of setback distance, fencing, those things. Right. And we are meeting with MSU Extension in the coming weeks to kind of break this down at a granular level what implementing it will look like. So I'll I'll have more information on the technical side soon. Okay. And just so for everyone who's listening, this was the craziest process on these wind and solar siding bills. Just, you know, very, very late nights when the bills were passing out, not a whole lot of transparency on the amendments in the House, got over to the Senate, it was not very well written, a lot of holes in it. Um, so Madeline, yeah, testified to some of our major concerns and some of the holes we saw in it. Um, and, and luckily they adopted a different substitute and then ended up passing that out. But both of these bills, Steve, you know, or both of them, both the clean energy and the siting legislation passed on party line votes, like barely got out of each chamber. And I don't think there was one single Republican who voted for any of it. Um, and I mean, but that's what they needed. That's what the majority is. So now it's on the way to the governor and we'll, you know, do our absolute best to try and, you know, navigate it. But we 100% expect it to be signed before the yeah, end of the year. I think back to your point on how it was passed and when it was passed, I think a lot of members voiced that concern and frustration as well on both sides of the aisle, to be honest, on how quickly it moved, the the lack of ability to understand the legislation before it was voted on. Um, so I think there are some folks looking to make some fixes, maybe in the spring, whenever that is that the legislature comes back. But, um, you know, obviously no commitments at this point on how far people are willing to go as far as fixes go, right? Right, right. All right, so we'll see, but on. it doesn't go into effect, wait, one more point. Yeah. It doesn't go into effect until after a year, a year after it's signed. Right. So there is a little bit of time to monkey around with it. If they do, we do find even more glaring holes. Um, it's just, you have to have the will of the legislature to do it, both chambers and the governor. So we'll right. see how that falls out. Yeah, good point. Forgot about that component. All right, move, moving along, Samantha. Um, J and G bills. We talked about this last week as they were moving through. We were hopeful to get them done. They did get done, all except the uh, one component of that. You want to speak to those bills again and kind of give a background, high background, and then what happened? Yes, thank you, Steve. So last week, nineteen of the twenty bills in the juvenile justice reform package were sent to the governor. Um, to recap on the bills that were passed by the House and Senate, you have increasing the county child care fund reimbursement to 75% for community-based services. You have um, the removal of court fines and fees for juveniles, which we've discussed before, kind of went back and forth on that. Um, and then the third piece that was big for counties was the one bill that was not 
passed by both chambers, and that was the bill to expand MIDC to include juveniles. So last Wednesday night, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock maybe, um, I caught wind and kind of figured out that the Senate was not voting on House Bill 4630, which expands MIDC to, to youth. So the reasoning there, as far as I know, is the the state budget office has concerns around obligating additional dollars in future fiscal years and what that means for future budgets. And I think there was maybe some reluctance to do so. And with that, they put that bill on hold, the rest of the package move forward. I don't think there's an appetite to vote that out next year. Never say never, maybe a 2024 lame duck bill that gets passed. But at this time, everything I've ever said about expanding MIDC to juveniles, we don't have to consider it for now. I mean, all the work we did, um, changing what the disbursement model looked like and, and funding to locals for that expansion, everything with MIDC will stay as is. I kind of don't blame them. I mean, you know, it's so much money every year for, you know, all of those standards that I'm sure it's taken a big hit out of the state budget and to then expand it. I'm sure they're definitely looking at that price tag. Yeah. But I'm glad they're done. That's awesome. Yes, they're one last step. Get signed by the governor. We can see that 75% reimbursement rate for community-based services, and then we're good to go. Which that... The DHHS was in support of that too, right? Through the process or at least neutral on it, or did they not engage? On the child care fund piece? The reimbursement, yeah. Um, they didn't really engage. I mean, right. internally, right? Like we had meetings with them on what that would look like for counties, but as far as throughout the legislative process, they didn't weigh in as far as I know or engage with us on it. That, that's good. Well, it's interesting to see that they're, you know, maybe... Uh, an indicator of what's to come in future budgets. If we're starting to get concerned now on obligating funds, um, you know, as we move into a new budget cycle again at the beginning of the year, of course, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that maybe looks like here in a minute. But Dina, you want to talk real quickly about um, a couple bills that did move but did not get passed out. Uh, still active bills, of course, even though they went signing die. Any bill that's been introduced will be uh, available to progress through the process till the end of next year, which is the end of the legislative session. So those bills are still around, but these bills didn't actually pass both chambers. So they're not headed to the governor, but um, they are sitting in the Senate at this point. Yes. So those are the two different trust fund bills that we've talked about for quite a while. First is the revenue sharing trust fund legislation that we've talked about, which would carve out a portion of the state sales tax for us for our revenue sharing every year, um, and then have the legislature appropriate it out. We always, we, we absolutely prefer that method because, um, you know, it gives us the ability to kind of grow and then that money is in there in its own little separate pot and it makes it harder for the legislature to cut our revenue sharing. But, you know, the legislature has said for the entire year this year, ever since Mayor Duggan, you know, came up with this idea for a public safety trust fund. So it's a crime and violence prevention fund. Um, again, a carve out out of the state sales tax. Um, the legislature has said that they want to run them together, that they want to run both trust funds at the same time. 
Well, our revenue sharing trust fund bills passed out of the House 106 to 4, which was awesome, and went over to the Senate. But the public safety bills, you know, kind of lagged behind. We weren't sure that they were going to get the language right, if they were going to get enough votes for it. There was a lot of criticism about how much money was going to go to the cities um, as opposed to more outstate Michigan. Um, you know, we engaged in the battle a little bit trying to advocate for funds to go to the county because we do all kinds of public safety. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a little bit goes to the county if, you know, it's for um, those areas that really don't have their own police department. Um, but the funds are dispersed out based on your level of violent crime. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that across the state, it's going to be a lot less for, you know, mostly outstate and more money for um, city police departments that are really tackling violent crime across the state. But needless to say, both bills are now over in the Senate, and that's great. They want to run them together. We're 100% about it. Because they passed on a bipartisan vote, we're hopeful that that's something that they can agree on and move um, in the spring or in the, you know, early early months of the year when they get back we'll see you're muted steve i know you're going to do the transition to what does this next legislature right. look like right yeah sorry forgot to unmute myself there but yeah so a good point there dean on the, the revenue sharing something we've long advocated for great work on getting it to where it was you know we're going to have all three local unit of government groups pushing to get this through obviously uh, as the budget process moves. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, signee die, the end of the legislature, what we're moving into now, uh, the beginning of next year, as we move through uh, the spring and, and into an election year. I mean, whole lot of moving parts. Let's talk briefly about that, Tina. Yeah, it, I think it's going to be really, really quite interesting. It's, um, um, it's been interesting to watch. I mean, it came, it, it is as we predicted, right? So those two um, House of Representative members that were running for their mayoral seats won their election. And so that brings the um, number of Republicans and the number of Democrats in the House of Representatives to 54 on both sides. That means they're even. Nobody has an, a majority vote on the House floor. Um, and I don't think, I don't think we've ever seen this this way. That I know of. I mean, there was shared power in the 90s, um, but that was because the initial vote um, of the Michigan electorate was, you know, put in there an even number from both parties. Um, and so they shared power when they did that. Um, and well, so they kind of rotated back and forth on who was chairing committees and, and you know, who was kind of running the show. But this time it's not like that. It's 54-54. But the Democrats are still in charge. Speaker Tate is still the speaker. The committee chairs are still on the Democratic side. So they'll run it. They just won't have a majority vote when it finally gets to the House floor. They'll have a majority vote in committees, but not when the legislation gets to the House floor. So that'll be well, really interesting to watch. And, and two-person majorities in, in all committees, right? I mean, there's a two-person majority in committees, so they can still get committee work done when they, you know, open up session again after 
January 10th is, is essentially when they have to come back to session. So you could see a lot of committee work being done, maybe shockingly a little more pragmatic approach to legislating here where you have to figure things out or work through issues a little slower and not just be able to rush through, which, you know, both parties are guilty of whoever has the majority or has all has control of all three legs of the stool. So, um, you know, from that standpoint could be good for, for, for good governance. Um, but potentially looking at the setup until when may, right. Yeah. So yeah, I think they'll do the primary early, maybe even when they're doing that presidential primary, um, they'll do those house seat primaries and then, um, the general probably, yeah, may. So we may not, they may not have, you know, enough votes to move everything off the house floor until may depends on how well, the two sides play with each other, but it'll be interesting to watch. When you got a budget to get through, because that's technically have to has to be done by July 1st. So if you don't have any votes coming through until May, that's short time frame. Not impossible, but short time frame. But um yeah, very interesting. Uh very interesting to watch and see how things play out and how folks get along with each other. So all right, any other legislative issues I didn't touch on that you guys wanted to bring up real quick or anything? No, not today. I mean, it'll be a little, it'll be slow now for a while. Slow. Yeah. On, it'll be slow on house vote on, on legislative votes, but there'll be a lot of work done behind the scenes. Like you said, a lot of committees, a lot of prepping for new bills, um, you know, meeting with other interest groups, trying to iron out some issues. So we'll look forward to that. Well, and you have a Senate that didn't change too. So there's obviously a lot of work that can go on as scheduled over there. Right. Yep. All right, like we said, no no podcast next week. The following week, we'll kind of do a couple a year in reviews. It might take us one or two weeks to get that ironed out, and then we'll kind of move in some other programming for the rest of the year. Um, but we do have our policy summit coming up uh, Thursday, December 7th, uh, here in uh, the Kellogg Center in, in East Lansing. That'll also have a, a web version um, that you'll be able to sign into. You still have to register either for either one of them. Um, that's available on our website, micounties.org. You can see it on the main page there and you kind of see the lineup of speakers. Uh, I think we have over 50 or 60 attendees already registered. So good turnout for that. Uh, just kind of a one day quick training session on some issues for folks. So with that, if we don't have anything else, thanks everyone and uh, have a great week and a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Podcast 83. 